0: Uh, anyway, so I, I want to talk to you about peace, and I want to start with a story, and this story t- takes place in Kennywood Park. It's a Kennywood story. Uh, this is several years ago, maybe about 10 years ago now. My family uh, had a family reunion, and family reunion was uh, got together, and we all took everybody down to Kennywood. Everybody, you know, all the brothers and all the kids and everything. And so we're walking along and, and visiting, and Ted and I are walking together, and Ted's telling me that he recently brought a bunch of students here for what they call Physics Day. Uh, Ted's a teacher at Belle Vernon and, and so they were teaching the kids the science behind the rides Which really sound like a rotten trick to do to kids. You want to take you to Kennywood. Yay There'll be a test afterwards what you know uh, But anyway, so he was telling me all about it And he was like saying "Something's that's really fascinating and I was kind of half paying attention and He knew that so he kind of pulls up at a stop in front of a ride and says well How do you think this one works and this is a ride that we pulled up in front of now? This is no longer at Kennywood Park uh, cooler heads have prevailed. They finally removed it Uh, But this is an evil ride called the Pitfall. For those of you who did not ever go on it or see it, let me describe it to you the best I can. First of all, the Pitfall is built on this tower that goes up in the air 251 feet. According to Kennywood records, I think they're off about 500 feet because it seems much higher than that when you're up there looking up at it. Uh, but it goes up and you, you see these seats that are attached to it and then they strap you into those seats like your Hannibal Lecter. You know, so you cannot get out at all. You know, and I think the reason they do that is because they're afraid, to, you know, the sanity to return and you'll try to get away. They don't want you getting away. 'Cause this was clearly you know, built by a sadist. So anyway, so so they they strap you in and it pulls you up to the top of this uh 251 foot tower and it's slow, believe me. This is a very slow climb to the very very top of it where people come. And then when you get to the very very top, they drop you. And the theory is, you'll stop before you splatter on the ground. That's the theory, anyway. It's a theory I had never tested, which was kind of funny to me, because when Ted said, well, what do you think about this? I thought, I don't know, and I don't care. You know, I, I really have no, no desire to ever find out what ha- happens if it does or doesn't stop. He said, no, 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 come on. Uh, you, have to, you have to kind of put some effort of thinking into this. I said, no, I'm never going on that. Now, now you know that... Um, I'm kind of the. My wife's the Pharisee of the family. I'm the Sadducee, so I'm not a big guy on rules like my wife is. I don't have very many rules in life I live by, but there is one that I live by, and I have always lived by, and it's kind of served me well. uh, Thou shalt not plummet. You know. So anything that like going to drop like that, I'm like, no, I'm out. I'm not doing that. I'm not plummeting. I think this is a good rule. I'm not going to do it. So Ted said, no, 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 no. How do you think it stops? I said, I don't know, maybe like a disc brake of some sort, you know, like a car has. I don't know. He says, no, that won't work because discs fail. You can't do that. So then I said, well, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe an air brake. Now I have no idea what an air brake is. I just know that George Westinghouse made a lot of money by creating them, so I figured that might be it. And he says, no, no, that would fail too. And I said, okay, Ted, I give up. You know, how, how, how does this thing stop? And he turns around in front of him, I'll never forget, and he says, exactly like this, it uses physics, because I'll never forget that finger. It uses physics, you know. And I'm like... <sighs> he might as well have told me it uses magic. I have no idea what this means, you know. And I said, uh, okay, uses physics. He says, no, no, no. He starts explaining this to me and he was breaking it down exactly how everything works. I'm going to give you a layman's version of it so we don't have to go into some of this uh, stuff like Lorentz force law and things. But basically, do you remember when you were uh, younger, maybe you took a a pin or something and rubbed it on a magnet and he transferred magnetic properties to the pin. You ever do that when you were a kid? Uh, It's kind of like that in a way. So what happened on this big tower leading up, there there's a track uh, that the, that, that with a coupling that the, 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 the seat rides upon, and the track has copper in it. And the track gets progressively bigger as you get closer to the ground, and there's copper and a magnet inside of the coupling of the seat. So, what's happening is, as it's going down, friction's building up, and magnetic, pros- magnetic transfer is happening, and does something called inductive uh, magnetism. And so, it actually creates like an electromagnetic field that becomes so strong it literally. Makes it stop. It's almost like a cushion of electromagnetic field is how it stops. Okay. So that's kind of the theory behind it in a way. Ted's here. He can actually explain it to you in detail correctly after this is all over. But that's how I understand it, right? So it's a magnetic field that makes it stop. And so he's telling me this story, and I'm like, okay. And I'm kind of phasing out on some of the physics. And he says, don't you understand why this is cool? I said, no. I I see it's complicated, but I don't know why that makes it cool. Complicated doesn't necessarily make cool. He says, yes, here's why it's cool. Because it can't fail. Because it's based on a physics property, it can't fail. It'd be like gravity failing. It can't fail. He said, you can literally take somebody to the top of the pitfall in a driving rain. You can drop them. And right as you drop them, you cut off all the power in Kennywood Park. And it'll still stop because it can't fail. I thought, you know what? That's pretty cool. Okay, I get it. That's kind of cool. And that would be the end of my story. Except about an hour later or so, I found myself getting strapped into the pitfall. Now, I know what you're wondering. It's like, Pastor Christ, your plummeting rule made so much sense, right? I know. I know it does. Uh, but here's what happened. I was tricked. And I was tricked by another relative. He was here a couple weeks ago. You may have met Andrew. You know, he seems like a nice guy, but don't let the baby face fool you because he's the one who tricked me. Uh, we're all kind of gathered around waiting for the group to get back together. And he's looking all glum, which I now know is just an act. And he says, "Ah, oh, Uncle Mark, no one will ride my favorite ride with me. And I'm like, pfft. I'll ride your favorite ride with you. What do you want? You want to go on the Phantom, the Thunderbolt? Because if you're in a car, it's not plummeting, just for the record. I love roller coasters. And so he says, no, of course, his favorite ride is Stupid Pitfall. And I said, why would you like these? Let's look at it. So we go and we take a look at it. And we watch these people drop and they scream all the way down. And when they get to the bottom, they're smiling and laughing. He says, you see, it's fun. I said, that's not fun. They've cheated death. When you cheat death, you laugh. It's kind of a natural response to cheating death. He says, no, no, it's fine. And so now I'm kind of stuck. And I'm stuck because in every family, everybody has roles. And my role in my family is I am the cool uncle. And I know some of you find that hard to believe, but I am. I was the last one actually to get married, last one to have kids. So I was always the cool uncle. So I have a reputation to maintain now. And I just told him I was going to ride this ride with him. And I'm thinking to myself, how bad can it be? Well, I made many mistakes that day. That was just another one, all right? You do never, ever, ever, just so you know, ever go on a plummeting ride with somebody who A, owns the t-shirt that says Pitfall, B, who knows it so well, they know the exact seat they want. Don't go on those rides. When they know the exact seat, you've got problems. See, he knew the exact seat for the best experience, which is to say the most terror you can possibly encounter because like everything in Kennywood, uh, the Pitfall is built on a hill. So if you're on this side that faces out in the park, you know, you go 251 feet in the air and you see 251 feet. But if you go on the hillside, you actually start rising up and the ground drops away and all you see is this yawning jaws of hell beneath you, right? It's like, you are, if you're looking down at this video, that is the pitfall. That's the highest point of the pitfall. You are towering above the highest point of the pitfall. It's like, as soon as you get to be like 26 feet in the air, the ground's gone and you're looking down this hill that goes down. Thousands and thousands of feet, and you're looking at that, and you're, this can't be happening. 25 feet all of a sudden turns into a thousand, and my palms started sweating. I've never had my palms sweat before. my 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 eyes kind of started blurring, which you know may have been the tears. I don't know, but my eyes are blurring, I, and and I can't hear anything except this kind of whirring in my in my ears, like vroom, 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 in my head, and I'm like ah, and I can't. My heart is hurt. My heart hurts. It's beating so bad. Basically, my body's going to I'm about to die mode, right? And and I can't breathe. That's the worst part about it. I can't breathe. I'm breathing in okay, but nothing's coming out, you know, because I can't relax enough to excel. And, so <gasps> and after a while, you kinda of run out of lung, you know. So I'm going up this thing and and, and Andrew's having a good old time with it, you know. Uh, we're getting up there a little of the ways, he says, Uncle Mark, look at your feet. I said, I'm not looking at my feet. You know, he says, No, just look at your feet, it's better. Well, of course, you know, this is a prank too. As soon as you look at your feet, this is what you're seeing, right? Like, okay. Thanks, you know, <laughs> if I'm tight whole thing. So anyway, so I'm I'm hanging there and I'm coming up and I guess he started to feel sorry for me because I start, you know, kind of whimpering like Bambi when it lost its mother, you know. And so he starts saying, Okay, when we get to the top, Uncle Mark, we're gonna stay there for a while. I'm like, why? Why would they do that? He said, well, it's for safety, which is a lie. But it was a lie I was ready to believe. Okay, that's okay. Safety's good. I'll, I'll. He said, okay. He says, uh, so just, just so you're prepared for that. So as I'm coming up, you know, my emotions are shot. Uh, my, my, my body's going into I'm about to die mode. But my mind was focused, right? My mind was completely focused. Like a laser beam, my mind was focused. In fact, I had one thought held in my mind at the time. In fact, I had three words held in my mind. It was this it can't fail you know that thing that ted told me that was mildly interesting to me when i was on the ground became the focus of my entire life when i was hanging over the edge it can't fail you know it can't fail like a metronome in my head it can't fail it can't fail it's physics it can't fail it can't fail we're coming all the way top and we come to the stop boom and everybody swings you know and i'm just thinking it can't fail it can't fail this can't fail this can't fail that's all i'm thinking about the whole time and then and then andrew says okay now you're going to hear some clicks uncle mark but nothing's going to happen. I'm like, why? Why would they do that? He says, well, actually now they're just messing with us. Why are they messing with us, you know, ruthless? And uh, he said, but don't worry, I'm, I'm gonna let you know when we're gonna drop and I'm gonna go back into my, my mode. Yeah, it can't fail, it can't fail, it can't fail. And so like the air traffic controller, all of a sudden I hear him saying, okay, we're gonna drop in three, two, one. And sure enough, as soon as he, he knew this ride so well, as soon as we, he hits one, we start our descent and it just starts, boom. It's three, two, one, go. And we go. And um, proud to say that I never screamed. Because, of course, it takes air to scream. And I couldn't get any air. I couldn't breathe, right? So I was just like, oh ah! yeah, kind of ah! all the way down. And <laughs> we get down to the bottom. And I and everybody else laughed hysterically because we all just cheated death, right? Uh, so that's my story of the pitfall. And that would be the end of the story, except... About, oh, about a year and a half later, uh, I have a friend who's suddenly going through a really hard time in his life. Something came out of it, nowhere. And I called him up and I'm talking to him. I'm trying to console him and I'm getting nowhere. You ever one of those calls where you're talking and you know nothing's landing? You're, you're talking, you guys kind of dialoguing, but you know nothing you're saying is being heard. That's how it was. And I hung up the phone. And I was really frustrated. I thought, you know, and I wasn't a pastor then or anything, I was just a guy who had a friend who was hurting. And I couldn't bring any comfort there at all. I said, I I don't know, God. It seems to me I should have the ability to bring peace in people's lives. Blessed are the peacemakers. Aren't we supposed to be peacemakers? How come I just failed so miserably here at that? And God gave me something at that moment. First of all, what he did was he took me back to Kennywood. It was really weird because I'm praying and all of a sudden I'm reliving this. Like like to the point where my palms literally started sweating. I'm sitting in Texas and my palms are sweating. And I'm like, what's going on? And it's like God brought all this back to my mind about how this happened. And then he gave me this. The things you pay attention to when your feet are on the ground are the only things that will bring you comfort when you're hanging over the edge. And when you're hanging over the edge, it's too late. If Ted had never spoken to me about the physics behind the pitfall, but sat next to me on a seat on the way up and tried to teach me why why this wouldn't fail, I wouldn't have heard a word he said. I was really working too hard to remember how to breathe. And when you're trying to focus on breathing, (laughs) your life's a mess, right? You can't do anything, you can't think of anything else. And so it's only the things that you're paying attention to when your feet are still on the ground, when you're not over the edge, that are gonna help you and bring you comfort when you're hanging over the edge. And this is what they don't tell you in these commencement speeches that we've all been listening to the past month if you've had people graduate, right? They're always the same. They always kind of go through the same stuff. And they're kind of, you know, talking about taking on the world and how they're going to, you know, oh, we're ready to take on the world because, you know, now they're 18 and they can beat the world and they can't wait to see how they're going to achieve everything. And, and they're all ready to go out there. But what no one ever seems to tell the kids is the edge is coming. And it's always coming. I, I don't care how, how good you are at what you do. I don't care how smart you are. I don't know how strong you are, how good looking you are, how well socially connected you are. I don't care how you have your life wired, how everything's planned. is The edge is coming. It comes in everybody's life. And this is something that people just don't seem to tell you, that the edge is coming. And when it comes, learning something that's going to help you is too late. You had to have paid attention before. I don't know if you ever saw um, this guy on anything, but um, he has this little show on, on, on Amazon. You can get this and, and watch it, like 20-minute episodes. And he, it's entitled, He Explains Everything. Everything. This guy actually is a chef, so you would think, well, why? But he was also a motivational speaker and supposedly a great uplifting guy. Obama went and had noodles with him once just to meet him, you know, so it was like this guy is just amazing and I would get I would have his quotes pop up in my Facebook feed from time to time My friends would post them like this guy's just so so great. He knows he's just so connected with everything and he's like Centered and and all this and s- some quotes were okay And then some were about food and then some were about life like he gave this advice. Um, I was raised without religion I don't believe in a higher power. I'm instinctively hostile to any kind of devotion Certainty is my enemy. You know, I'm all about doubt, questioning oneself and the nature of reality constantly. You know, someone posted this once. Isn't this great? This is how I feel too. Um, I think that right now, you know, when it comes to him explaining everything, some people would like to have him explain why in June he took his life. You know, it's just amazing that these people that a lot of people look to is like think about all the answers and, you know, they don't. When the edge comes, if you're not prepared for it, no matter how connected you are, no matter how well connected you are, I mean, he's a millionaire and a celebrity, you'd think whatever the edge was, he was okay. But whatever it was, it, it was too much for him. And it's too much for a lot of people. Not everybody takes their life. Some do. But sometimes the edge impacts people in such a way that they never recover from it. And I've met those people. Something happened in their lives, and they never recovered. It changed their lives for the worse forever. They'll never get over it. It's like they relive it over and over again. And here's the thing. Jesus talks about the edge. The thing about Jesus is he's real. He talks about life as it is and as it's real. And this is what he said in John. He says, well, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. And what I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you so you'll have peace. Watch what he tells us next. In this world, you'll have troubles. Now, how's that supposed to bring peace to you? you uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to tell you something that's going to bring you peace. Here's, a, here's what I'm going to tell you. You're going to have troubles. Thanks, Jesus. Not feeling very peaceful right now. But he says, it's okay because I've overcome the world. What he's saying is, if you're having troubles, don't think I've deserted you because you're going to have troubles. Jesus doesn't say you come to me and you'll have no troubles. He says, I'll never leave you even in the midst of the troubles. But it's the things that we pay attention to before we get there, which is to say paying attention to God, that is gonna help us in our times of trouble. It's really important that we do that if we wanna have peace at the edge. It's easy to have peace when everything's going well in life. And especially when you're young, it seems like everything is. Your whole future's in front of you. But even when you're young, things happen in your life that suddenly bring you to the edge. An injury you never saw coming, an illness, a divorce that you had no control over, maybe a, a friend or a loved one betraying you. It can happen when you're young. It'll definitely happen in your life. All these things can hit you at any moment. And in that moment, When you're just trying to remember how to breathe, you're not going to be able to learn anything. You're going to have to have taken what you've learned before that into it. Jesus also said this. This is a quote that the one little guy at the end of that video we showed today actually got right. He says, Look, I'm going to leave you with my peace. And that's not like the world's peace. See, the world's peace is all based on circumstance. I, I love those answers these people are giving. Where do you find peace? The trees you climb trees i don't understand you know i like trees too but does pe- trees give you peace someone else said uh, the ocean well that's great but what if you're in the city and the edge comes where's your ocean now where are your trees H- how's that going to help you and what they're saying basically is that if i create the right circumstances i'll find peace and people work very hard to create the right circumstances but they don't understand the truth about peace you know they ask all those questions in a video where does it come from what is it people don't know I grew up, I was born in the 60s and raised in the 70s. I know, kids, that makes me really, really old. But when I grew up, it was all about peace. You know, people walk around peace. Peace, it came with a peace sign. It was invented in the 60s. And people were always talking about it. There's even songs about peace, you know. Here's one you may know the lyrics to. uh, Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. You guys know that song? It can't begin with you. You're part of the problem. That's the problem with peace. It's nothing you can go grab. People don't understand peace. I need to go get peace. I need to go make peace. You can't do either of these things because peace is actually nothing that you get. Peace is what you get when something else is gone. In First John, he says this, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. So what happens is when fear is gone, you have peace. This is, what it, this is what this is all about. Jesus says, here's my peace. My peace doesn't change your circumstance. My peace <laughs> casts fear out of your circumstance. And then you find peace. Peace is the absence of fear. And, and the way this works, what, what this verse is telling us, is like when God enters on stage left, peace ha- uh, fear has to, has to leave on stage right. They both can't be in the same place. God can't give you a spirit of fear. God can't make you afraid. He can't do it. He can't do it because as soon as he shows, he shows up with perfect love, fear goes away. If you're feeling fearful, it's not coming from God. He can't create fear in your life. God doesn't do that, right? It's perfect love casts out fear. So how do we do that? Well, we have to pay attention to God. How do we find him? Paul says, well, I'll tell you how you find him. There are signposts in your life that point you to God. And this is what you need to pay attention to right now. You need to pay attention to right now the signpost that points you to God so that you'll have that with you when the edge comes. And he gives us the signpost, which, you know, you may not have thought about. This is a letter, uh, letter in the Philippians. He says, finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, you need to meditate, focus, pay attention to these things. Because these are the signposts that lead you to God. Because God's behind that. These are simply characteristics of God. You know how you have a friend and they're a certain person and you know, if I said, what's your characteristics of your friend, you know? You, you would be able to tell me. Maybe they're funny. Oh, this friend of mine is just so funny. It's like always makes me laugh. Or, or maybe, they're, maybe they're not. Maybe they're really serious. Oh, they're always so serious. Or maybe they're really talented in some way, you know? Something. You could tell me the characteristics of your friends, right? You could, tell me, you could describe what they are. And you, they, that, that would help you understand who they are. Well, this is what Paul's saying about God. These are his characteristics. And, and as you follow these and you focus on these, they bring you back to God. And then he says something else, and I hate this part, because he said this is before the edge comes. You need to focus on these things. And then he tells you this in, in the letter. He says, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Here's a secret to peace, he says. He's telling this person, you remember, remember you saw the things I did? Do that, you'll be cool. And then, peace out. He signs off. I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What what did they see Paul do? Wouldn't it be nice if he actually told us? Oh, by the way, I did this, this, and this. You do those. No, he simply references what he did. I hate this. And I get it. I'm reading somebody else's mail. But still, it would be nice if they put that detail in there, wouldn't it? I want to know, what did Paul do? Clearly, this person knew. He was writing to Paul. Didn't think he had a, he had a reply. Read the whole letter back, and you know it's not there. It's simply not there. I'm like God. What's the deal here? I wish I could know what he did because it seems to me it's important. I need to know that in order to get peace in my life. I can focus and meditate. I got that part. That's what I'm paying attention to. But when the edge comes, how do I get the peace? What did Paul do? And so I started praying about that. Like, God, could you show it to me somehow, reveal it? I don't know, part the heavens, tell me. Instead, I got taken back to the book of Acts because the book of Acts is like a reporter writing what the apostles did. I thought, okay, maybe I'll just look at things Paul did and maybe I can figure out from that things he might have done. It's best I can do, right? So I don't have a lot of time to go through the entire story here. I'm gonna kind of cut it short. So what happens, Paul and his partner, a guy named Silas, they're in a city and there's a woman there who's actually got a demonic a, a possession, and her, she's a slave, and her, her slave owners are using that to sell to people because she's, she's weird. Have you ever like, been and have a, like a homeless person come up to you like in a street or something, and they got this kind of vacant look in their eyes and kind of you know, dusty and dirty, and they come up, and it's a little bit, little bit scary, you know, maybe even a little bit creepy. That's how she was, except that she would say things about people, and it turned out those things would come true. That's actually called a spirit of divination. But it seemed to them like she could curse people. So they're hiring her out to go running around and bother people and curse people. And she just followed people around because she didn't know any better. She actually had demonic influence in her life. Well, when Paul and Silas come through preaching, she comes to see what everybody's coming to. And because the spirit in her, which is a demonic spirit, sees things in the spirit world, it saw in the spirit world they're telling the truth. So she starts saying, hey, they're telling the truth. And she keeps saying it. And you would think that wouldn't bother things up, but it disturbed all of their meetings. And people got creeped out by having her there because they know she's the curse lady. And so finally, Paul says, okay, I have enough of this. And he got really annoyed. and He just looks at the spirit and says, get out of here. And he actually casts the spirit out of the presence and the woman. And all of a sudden, boom, she's clear headed. You know, her eyes aren't foamy anymore. They're like, oh, and she just sits down and listens like everybody else. And it's like, this is a miracle. This is really cool. This is really great. Except it wasn't great for the owners because now they can't hire her out to curse people. They just lost money, and money meant something to them. So they, they yanked Paul and Silas before the magistrates on some trumped-up charges, and they said, these Jews are ruining our business. You've got to do something. And so the magistrates know where their money is uh, coming from, so they're not going to take any kind of side on, on Paul and Silas. And so instead what they do is they say, okay, we'll, we'll have to give them a trial because everybody gets a fair trial, and then we'll find them guilty. You know, we'll give them a fair try, trial, then we'll find them guilty. And so they, they, uh, they take them, and they have them beat with rods, now, this is like little tiny one and a half, two inch woods. I haven't seen like a dial rod about that. Well, they kind of whip a little bit, but they're heavy in their heart. And they beat them with it. Many stripes, stripes are what's left after it hits. These things are the things that create um, cracked ribs, broken noses. They beat them up till they're unconscious with these things. They just beat them senseless. That's before the trial, by the way. And then they take him, they give him to jail and he says, make sure they show up for their trial at 9 a.m. and defend themselves. So this guy understands that code. He takes them to the very center of the prison and knowing that they had to show up, he actually put them in stocks. Those are the things that hold their ankles so they can't get away. Not that they get away, they're unconscious. Now I don't know if you've ever had a physical element like a cracked rib. I have. Or maybe, just, maybe a knee injury or maybe a back injury. But, but like a cracked rib is really bad because it's hard to breathe and it's hard to sleep, right? So you kind of have to move around. Now imagine you've got that pain, no painkillers, and you can't move your feet. You can't find that position that makes the pain stop hurting. This is their night. They're going to be up all night with this pain and in the morning they're going to have basically a trial for their lives. This isn't fair, right? Life isn't fair. And and they did nothing wrong. They they healed a woman. They did nothing wrong. There's nothing they did. And yet, they're facing this, right? So they're actually unconscious for many hours. And then they wake up. Well, What's Paul going to do? Well, he told us he thinks that what things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, and praiseworthy. The problem is none of that exists in their situation. And you go back and look. There's not one of these in there. Their situation just sucks through and through from top to bottom. This is horrible. It's not fair. It's horrible. They went from this high, high, high of everybody's listening to and loving them to this, where in the morning they're going to have to defend themselves. They're not going to have any sleep. They're going to be all busted up. They're going to be sore. And they're going to be put to death. Things aren't good for them. And then we see this. When they wake up around midnight, they start praying. And what they're doing is they're focusing on the one thing that they can think of that is all these things, and that's God. Our situation sucks. Well, let's not think of our situations. Let's start thinking about God. Hey wasn't it great when that woman who was demonically obsessed and possessed was freed from that? Do you remember her eyes? Wasn't that great? Yeah, that was great. Do you remember the people's looks when they saw how how Jesus loved her enough to do that? Man, that was wonderful. Isn't God a great God because he still is? And they start thinking about God. He's true. He's just. He's noble. He's praiseworthy. And they just start talking about their God. Isn't he great? They didn't talk about their circumstances because their circumstances sucked. They talked about their God because their God was great. And then, after a while, they start singing hymns. It's like, I don't even remember where they found the voice, to be honest with you. But they started singing hymns. Here's something else, though, that you have to understand that God says. He says, I inhabit the praise of my people. I literally come and put my throne room right in the middle of their praise. So they start singing, and God enters into the jail. But where God comes with his presence, he brings his power. And the power of God was so great that the wall shook. The walls of the prison couldn't contain God. So when God entered into the praise, the wall shook until all of the doors got flown off their hinges. And as soon as that happened, man, pew, 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 pew. The prisoners went running out like rats scurrying out of a sinking ship. Now, the guy next door, who's the jailer, who's in charge of all this, hears it. And he comes running in with the light. He sees his worst fear realized. Everybody in the entire jail is leaving. They're gone. And he's done. Because he knows what these magistrates are like. He's toast. So he gets a sword. He's getting ready to kill himself. Because if he kills himself, maybe his family won't have to face the problems. He's getting ready to kill himself. And all of a sudden, he hears Paul come. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What you doing? His voice from the darkness. The two VIPs, the people he had to have, were still there. Not because they couldn't get away. The stocks fell off of them too but because they stayed. Now, you can ask yourself, why would they stay? This is their chance to get away too. Everybody else is doing it. Clearly, God broke this apart in order for them to get away. Why didn't they leave? Paul would tell you, why would I leave? My whole life, here's what I want. I want to be in the center of God's presence and I'm right here right now. There's no place on earth I'd rather be. God's presence is here. I'm in the middle of it. This is where I want to be. I've been talking about excellent, pure, and and true things and here's God, all these things right here. I want this moment to last forever. This is great because God is great. And this guy says, man, I don't know who your God is, but I need to know him. I need to know a God that can bring you peace in the middle of this. I need to know that. And so they tell him. They said, well, here's all about Jesus. They tell him all about it. He said, whoa, whoa, hold that thought. I got to go get my family. You got to tell them too. And so he, he, they actually take them over so they can like start cleaning them up and cleaning up their cuts and taking care of them. And while they're doing that, Paul, Paul and Silas are telling them all about Jesus and the whole family gets saved and baptized. Here's what's really cool about this story. This took place in a city named Philippi. And the letter I was reading you before is Philippians. He's writing this letter to that jailer and his family because they started the church of Philippians. Hey, when you need peace, do you remember what I did when I needed peace? Do you remember my circumstances totally sucked? Do you remember what I did? If you do that, you'll have peace too. God actually, he actually says this in Philippians. He says, be anxious for nothing and everything make in thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. He says, look, if you just, with praise to God, let him know what you need and just focus on God, he's going to fill your hearts with his peace. That's what he's going to do. And the edge doesn't matter anymore because you're in the presence of God. Listen, I I promise you, I don't know what it is, but I promise you an edge is coming in your life. Maybe it's here already. Maybe you're trying to survive it. But it's coming. And it's the things you pay attention to when your feet are on the ground right now. The only thing that can help you and protect you when you're hanging over the edge. The question is, today, what are you paying attention for? Would you all please pray with me?